Hello, the internet. The following story takes place in the 26th century, seven or eight hundred years after the events of the short story Malachi's Gambit in my first short story anthology, and about 1300 years before the events of The Final Fall of Man. It is centered around a Blaren thief and escape artist who would one day become a criminal folk hero named Grendel's Grief. Part 8 A scattering of bodies in unquiet repose. A laugh as authentic as a blue plastic tooth. Where are the guardians? Who will watch the sleeping giant? Aquilar. Grief would have preferred to spend a year or more flying to Mopaska and back. He would have preferred to spend a year in Mopaska. The capital system of human civilization, all oxymoron jokes aside, was also a hotbed of extraordinarily humorless Mulran fleet activity as the Sourcats did their dead-eyed best to keep the monkeys under control. Under normal circumstances, this would make it a fun place to visit. Humans, plus Mulrin flailing around trying to stop the humans, was a truly joyous combination. But Aquilar was weird and uncomfortable. It was also very crowded, and not just the habitable planets and moons of the system. Eternal Aquilar had a whole lot of orbital stations filled with people as well. Standalone habitats, great complex chrysanthemums, and the even larger Mandelbros swept around the planet in a complicated dance. And those vast floating city-states were divided up into smaller sections, quarters, communities. Not necessarily divided according to the majority species in each area. But not not that either. The Blaren district of Maganek Central was Exwig's town. It wasn't really a town so much as a collection of research and testing facilities, and a sprawl of habitat, resource and recreation cells surrounding them. Nobody really remembered who Exwig had been. One legend claimed Exwig had been the true designer and founder of Magnac Central, but since they'd been a Blaren, they'd been denied naming rights. Magnac Proton Sol was the long-gone human royal wastrel who'd taken that dubious honour. Another legend claimed Exwig was a great bard of old, who had been exiled and skin-switched for their glorious and forbidden love of someone or other. Someone they forsook their very species rather than betray. The X-Wigs town sector of the Chris was labelled as Zone XXX10WGXCQ though, and the Mulran fleet record stated that X-Wig was a slang foreshortening of the XWG part. When faced with a thousand interesting explanations and one boring one, the cats chose the boring one every time. Maganac Central was now called Maganac Cluster, grief found. It had gained a long pair of habitat-studded spars and another quarter-million inhabitants since the Lil' Neb had last updated its databases. It was also even more fundamentally Zhrak-worshipping than it had been, at least in terms of its human population. Still, the Exwig's town docks remained free and he found a secure inbound flight path and a berth quite easily. He was also informed in no uncertain terms that if he showed his wicked, sinful face in Zhrak-fearing sections of the Chris, let alone on the planet below, his liberty and property would be forfeit. 
the mark of the Fwag actually proved a benefit in Town. Always happy to help the Death Lords most wanted, the Dock Coordinator, a grinning Blaren woman with jagged teeth as silver as Grief's and eyes as black as Grief's skin, declared cheerfully, Can I put you in touch with someone? I'm looking for Hubosh Stana Munro, Grief said, and whisked across his details, on behalf of Terror and Shattered Dreams of the Adluminal. This barely elicited a flicker of reaction from the Coordinator, who nodded and sent back a set of meeting protocols. I'll inform them. If they can't meet you at the dock, you can communicate on this sub-whisper. Hubosh did indeed meet him at the dock. The Blaren, bright green and scaly as a primeval reptile, beamed and handed Grief a wickerwork basket full of lumpy blue-grey fruit. Welcome to X-Week's town, he said. Goodness, Grief replied. I've never been given an actual fruit basket before. Your reputation precedes you, Hubosh explained. The arrest warrants attached to your Mark of the Fueg were impressive, and the name of Grendel's Grief carries a lot of goodwill in certain quarters. The liberation of the Eternal Star Cargos, he added confidentially, put a lot of X-Week's town's most influential leaders where they are. Prison? Yes, Hubosh chuckled. The phlegm fruit is a gift from the ones you broke out of prison, product of the X-Week's town deep ponyx labs that do not, for the record, exist. Phlegm fruit, Grief echoed, and held up the basket. The fruits had waxy skins dusted in white powder and smelled of catastrophically failed digestion. Forgive me, but that doesn't sound very appetizing. Oh, it shouldn't. I strongly suggest you don't eat them, Hubosh laughed. They'll store indefinitely in this state, and rendered down for their oils, they're extremely valuable to perfumers. Very fancy, Grief inclined his head. So now you're here on behalf of the Adluminal, Hubosh said with relish, acting as their emissary in this place where they may not cast their unholy light. Pretty much, Grief admitted. Together they set out along the dock's central promenade, in return for taking me into a place where their light might hide me. And why have they sent you to me? Hubosh asked. To be honest, I'm beginning to lose track of it myself, Grief admitted, but I came here to contact the Dreamer. Hubosh's scaly face frowned. The Dreamer is... I know, I know, she's a myth, Grief said. No, I was going to say she's a Molran, Hubosh laughed again, but there was a strange edge to his laughter. Not concern, not evasiveness, but expectation? It was hard to read the augmented face, probably by design. You won't find her in this squalid little place. Oh, because Mopuska's so much nicer than X Week's town, Grief thought in amusement. I didn't come here to find her, he replied, only to contact her. I'm actually surprised to have gotten this far. Terror and Shattered Dreams told me you might be able to initiate contact. The Dreamer has some information the Adluminal want. Mmm, wouldn't surprise me, Hubosh said moodily. The shit the Sourcats are getting up to in this system, the shit she was shoulders deep in. She went into hiding for a very good reason, and she's not likely to raise her head now. Hubosh refused to say more until they reached his private habitat, which was comfortable but hardly opulent. Hubosh Stana Munro was either a modest operative in the Blaren underworld, or a very clever one. Once they were safely behind closed doors and away from listening ears, both organic and machine, Hubosh handed Grief a glass of cloudberry liqueur and a card with an odd symbol. A triangle, each of its corners obscured by a small circle with a dot in the centre, printed on it. Grief sipped the drink and frowned at the strange icon. A calling card? he guessed. Weirdly accurate, Hubosh replied. Focus on the symbol. Think about it. Not analytically or abstractly, but in purely structural terms. Don't look away from it. 
the dreamer, Hubosh explained while Grief sipped his liqueur and tried not to feel stupid about staring at a Magookan fortune picked, was not of Fleet Molran. Technically, she was Astrocore Special Weapons Division, the so-called Monsters, although she was retired these last couple of hundred years. Monsters never really retired, Hubosh added in sober tones, but it was a useful fiction. And the dreamer's field was one of the most dangerous of all, Telicide. The Aki Dreadnath were not happy with the idea of anyone, let alone the monsters, developing the ability to get into the telepathic sphere that was their alleged domain. And turning the Yaki Dreadnought's very occasional, and again, alleged, act of psychic culling into a standard weapon in the six-species arsenal of war was something everyone was opposed to. And yet, and yet, this was familiar territory to grief. It was just another example of the immeasurable lie that was the Mulran condition. Still, if the Yaki Dreadnought weren't happy, the fleet wasn't happy. And the fleet's founding brief was to stop everyone else from being happy anyway, so this was encouragement they really didn't need. The dreamer, Hubosh said, got involved in something too deep and dark, something down in the bilges of the monkey's myth brain. They're doing things in this system, my friend, things the likes of you and me would be wise to steer well clear of. The dreamer saw it coming, knew what they'd do to her once they were done, and vanished herself before they could do a better job at it. Believe me, if I could steer clear, I would, Grief said, not taking his eyes from the symbol on the card. And once I'm done running this errand, I'll put the big A-hole in my rearview screens and never come back. But I don't... Between one word and the next, the room receded into darkness and mist. Everything vanished, except the symbol on the card. That expanded, faded, shifted until he would have been standing on it, if he'd had feet. Or a body. Or anything. It was a remarkably unpleasant experience. Podcasting service provided by Anchor. Introductory music provided by Anchor. It was called House of Grendel, so I had to use it. You can find all of my books on Amazon under the name Andrew Hindle, and you can find the blog that this whole podcast came from at www.hatboy.blog. Original music composed by Oliver St. John, with a little bit of help from various Strausses. That's it. That's the credits. <laughs>